This episode is being brought to you by The Boardman Review, the workshop brewing company and Breaking the Surface podcast. This is such a cool new podcast that's part of the Boardman Review podcast collective. Breaking the Surface is what you get when three co-hosts, one of them being an ethics teacher and a pastor, another a journalist, and the third one is a former social worker. And they all sit down to discuss culture, politics, entertainment, and a whole lot more. And they're doing all of this while enjoying some of their very favorite local beverages. So check them out. It's Breaking the Service podcast. Hey, a couple of notes before we kick off the show today. Firstly, we have some discussion about Sean Connery, who we love and we're big fans of, right, Pete? Yeah. Yes. So but now this episode was recorded prior to his passing, so we wanted to be sure to acknowledge this so we don't come across as tone deaf to this great actor's right. passing. Right. We're, we're super sad, and we didn't really, that wasn't clear. It's mostly complimentary. It's fine. And the secondly, uh, Pete's going to be trying to remember an actor's name during this episode. Yeah, the I'm actor's name is Alec Baldwin. We didn't come up with it during the episode, yeah. but uh, we have it now. Alec Baldwin. I'm famous for being illiterate when it comes to popular culture, <laughs> so sorry about that. Uh, so with all that said, let's kick off this episode. Take it away, Taylor. Hello and welcome to The Improverbial, a podcast where we unearth obscure sayings and phrases from around the world, invent absurd new proverbs, and talk about things mundane, spurious, irrelevant, and profound. I am the capitalist, Pete Kirkwood. And I'm Lisa Favet, the tilt thinker. I've been doing and coaching improv for many years. Pete and I have been doing improv together for some of those years. This podcast is a mashup of Pete's interest in the science of well-being, my background in education and human development, our shared fascination with the world's idiomatic weirdness, and our superpowers in improv comedy. We are the Improv Verbializers. Woohoo! Yeah! Pete, this next proverb is an old Corsican saying. It goes something like this. According to Wikipedia, it means old pots make good soup. Pete, what can you tell us about this saying? First, I just want to commend you on your Corsican. Thank um, you. I yeah. think it was probably perfect. It's a language I've struggled with. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, you know, I started taking it in high school. I took, you know, Corsican in a nutshell, 101. And it's just, it's really become natural for the, me. Yeah, it's remarkable, your facility. <laughs> um, <clears throat> another language that I know you know well uh, is French. And this uh, proverb happens to appear in French as well. And in French, in, Fran in, in Frenchiness, in, mm -hmm. in, in, the, in Francais, in, it's mm -hmm. C'est dans les vieilles marmites qu'on fait les meilleurs soupes, right? Literally, old pots make good or the best soup. So figuratively, this means like the tried and true ways of doing things <clears throat> tend to be the best ways of doing them. You know, we all, um, in some ways, an excuse for being set in your ways, right? But like a lot of times people are set in their ways because they've tried other ways and they've sucked, right? So you end up like, I've made bad soup. So, you know, break yeah, out the old pot. But most of the time you make great soup. Pete brought me over a beautiful helping of soup just That's the other right. day. And yeah. it's exactly what our family needed in that moment. Oh, Thank thanks. You, Pete. It's a pleasure. I, you know, we, uh, that's, that's what a community does, right? We take care of each other. Um, 
they, Lisa Lisa had, was building a fence with her family, and there was some flooding in the in, in the in the basement. It just threw all of everything. So what do you do course. when your friend has a problem? You bring them a thing of butternut squash soup. Yeah, that's what I think. So, um, uh, of course, let's let's go into the historical origins here, right? An old pot over the fire. That's the way. That's the way people used to keep their meals going. They would uh, throw whatever savories and grains and stuff they had in there, and um, scoop them, scoop out today's meal, and leave some leftovers in there, and just add some more stuff. And uh, you can imagine a, a soup like that uh, would, you know, might get better, might taste more and more yummy over time. Like just all that savory goodness simmering in there, you know. Um, I can see how that. I can see how it'd be terrible. But I can, I can see how as yeah, long as it keeps hot from a um, standpoint of like food safety is probably OK. Um, so this led me the where I went with this. I was like, OK, how old can a soup be? Which led me uh, as usual. Things lead me to Thailand. And apparently in Watanapanik restaurant in Bangkok, the city of my birth, um, there has been a broth of soup that hasn't been thrown away. It's been simmering over their s- stove for 45 years. According to Natapong Kawi Nundawong, every chance I get, I'm going to say Thai words and, 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 and names because they're, they're awesome to say. Um, it's not an uncommon thing for this, for even now there to be, or for over long periods of time, there to be soups simmering over the fire. Uh, it's in, in English, we sometimes have referred to these as a perpetual stew or a hunter's pot. Mm-hmm. In New York Times, 1981 reported on a French beef stew that had at that point lasted 21 years. But that's nothing because there was a pot au feu in Normandy, a pot over the fire. That had reportedly been simmering for 300 years. There was another one in Perpignan that, that had been simmering from the 1400s until World War II when some damn German Nazi put out the freaking fire. Another Stupid reason. Stupid Nazis. Another reason to hate the Nazis. Oh, oh my gosh. Dude, soup. isn't that great stuff? Oh, that is great. I never <laughs> thought of it. I, I heard like the sourdough starters. You can keep those right? going. A soup. I had not heard that. Yeah, man, that is some old base. So, so old pots make make the best uh, soup. Maybe the best, maybe the most convenient. But uh, yeah, maybe you should. Maybe we shouldn't be washing our pots so much. Yeah, I, I, you know, when it's late at night and I have to do the dishes, I might pull that one out. Like I'm yes. just gonna leave the soup in here. This is gonna be delicious tomorrow, folks. <laughs> yeah, See if I can get. I'm some gonna tell these, honey. I don't. It's. I'm not. Don't wash. I don't have to wash the dishes tonight, honey. Don't. It's because. Um, you know, les vieilles marmites qu'on fait les, les meilleurs soupes. I think if, if you say anything in French, it sounds very authoritative. It's, and and you, hot. Because it's late at night now, right? We're talking. Right. And I'm like, oh, honey, what did baby, you say? Don't, don't do this. Don't wash the dishes. We got some other activities There's planned. Something else is going to be brewing. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, I'm sorry, it just leads me to the other part yeah. of this. There's a secondary meaning. Yeah, tell As me. there always is of these old proverbs, right? The secondary meaning is women of middle age, having had more experience are better lovers. Mm-hmm. So there's a sort of a slightly, uh, you know, steamier side to the old pots, uh, proverb little, did you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of went down that rabbit hole. Oh, I, tell I me. perked up on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I also read, um, I guess the Victorian and Wales, uh, excuse me, the Victorian new South Wales did a study and they said that women in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s can have more, not less sexual desire than their younger counterparts. Wow. Yeah. Good things coming down the pike. That's right. It's the best is yet to come. All right. And they they say the reasons are that, first of all, these women know more what they want. They have more confidence Mm -hmm. to express that to their partner. And they also have less exhaustion. 
uh, and less interruption than mm -hmm. women, say, who are in their early family lifetime no doubt. Of, of their life. Um, and also, of course, this un, um, this this looming uh, anxiety of having an unwanted pregnancy is lessened when you're in your 60s, 70s and 80s. Yeah, because like, well, I mean, I don't know if you want to if you get pregnant when you're 80, that is a it is a bit of a problem. Yeah, you yeah, you've been letting that pot of soup stir too long. This is great news. <laughs> this, this is great, great news. news. So, and but of course, society views older women as to be generous is basically asexual, right? Like they kind of aren't sexual at all. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, kind of the societal norms, it, they don't hold up with this older physique as so as desirable. But you know what they said? This is really interesting. So older women are a bit invisible, say, in the sexual desirability in society. But they say they feel the most sexy when they're actually having sex, which causes <laughs> Which them, is appropriate. Yeah, you would think you feel the most sexy. You're having sex. So that's when they feel sexiest. So they want to have more sex. Uh -huh. I go out. I go out to my Myers. Nobody sees me. Nobody thinks I'm, you know, anything uh -huh. but just an old frumpy lady. I go home, have sex. I feel so sexy <laughs> and I want more of that feeling. Not that I, I think that's tautological though. Come on. Right. You're, yeah. you're feeling sexy because you're having sex and you're having sex because you're feeling sexy. Yeah. Isn't it cool? It's a, that is the kind of vicious cycle I'd like to, I'd get I'd on like that to vice. Get, get, get on that one. No, yeah. I like that a lot. Um, so I'm, old pots. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. in some old pots. You probably don't want to refer to a woman as an old pot, even though you mean hey, it baby. as a compliment. Hey, hey, old pot, get over here. Let's make some good soup, baby. How about that? Is that is that hot? Is that a it's good line? A, it's a hot. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is. No, it's not. Try it. Well, let me know. I'm going to try that. Try time. it and let me know what you find out. See how it goes. You know, what, another angle that I took on this was like thinking about the value we place on objects and mm -hmm. like materialism, because if it's really the case that um, you know, that you make the best soup in an old pot, then you know, they're like the market for new pots is uh, kind of dries up. And and I, I think it's kind of true. I, I get really attached to my old cookware and I resent cookware that doesn't last. And also like what's like with my clothes and everything. I, I there's no way I I'm not going to I'm wearing a gray sweatshirt right now. I've had for eight years. I would fight you for this. I don't want your new sweatshirt. I love this sweatshirt. It has memories built into it, you know. So maybe there's like some figurative quality to that whole good soup thing. Yeah, I know. My husband has his grandmother's iron frying pan mm -hmm. and it's it's his grandmother's it's had all those meals from the it's never the, been washed right the nine children she raised and all those Whoa. eggs she must have fried in there for mm -hmm. all those kids and here we have it in our house mm -hmm. our kids are getting eggs from it too so i think there's something to say and that physical object as well yeah i really think um treasuring the things that you have because like you can't you can't buy um, your grandmother's old pot. You have to already have it. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, I'm not saying we should clutter our lives with every single random ancient object, but like, you know, cleave to those good things and hold on to them and don't, you know, buying new things is a fleeting pleasure, but um, cherishing the things you have is that's a, that's like a practice you can engage in that improves, you know, wellness and happiness. Yeah, for sure. You know, P I was, I, I, I I'm still on that older women enjoying um, the sex in their old age. I, I, I really think this is a, as you said, it's a beacon. Of I love life. it. I'm trying not to make um, off color comments. It's really hard to, <laughs> to do that. So please proceed. I, well, I was going to say, so I started looking at, you know, we do know in uh, film that women tend to be paired up with older men. And I was kind of interested in what some of those statistics look like. Um, 
there, there was a study, Stephen Fallows film data and education study. He looked at 422 romantic films um, over 30 years and all the films made $1 million or more. And she looked at, you know, these age, the, the romantic leads, the ages mm-hmm. of the actors. They said out of those 422 films, zero times were women, was the woman older than the man. Wait a minute. What's a graduate? I know it's the exception that proves the rule. Okay, no, please go ahead. Uh, Yeah, and I'm wondering, uh, this was from 89, starting in 89. So the graduate was, and I, the graduate, I do have something interesting on that. Um, They, on average, the men were 4.5 years older than the women. Wow. And the actors that most had the biggest age group was, here's the top was Robert Redford, Richard Gere, Colin Firth. Steve Martin and Tom Hanks. I mean, you love Tom Hanks. You can't. Wow. Yeah. I that guy, but he's in the category of having young female leads against him. The women, (laughs) the women, Julia Roberts is cast with most uh, oldest men. A cast. Richard Gere, Julia Roberts. Wasn't that pretty woman? That's the pretty Pretty woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Sandra Bullock was on the other end. She had the least amount of age difference uh-huh. with her uh, leads. Interesting. So, yeah. You I gotta, wonder, is there some quality that they have that makes them seem like the younger woman or the not the less younger I, woman? I wonder. I wonder. Mm. They did say, though, there's something to do with um, male directors versus female directors. There were a lot <sighs> yeah, less age yeah. difference, surprisingly, mm, with the female surprising. directors. Yeah, amazing. Isn't that, that strange how that would happen? Mm, yeah. Uh, what is it about those actors that made them seem like, you know, appropriate for, to be the sugar daddies? Yeah. Or the, that Sandra Bullock was so honored to be with a man her own age. I not even don't, not even her own age, just close nearly just getting close. Now, yeah. now, um, can you, uh, the, the movie that had the biggest age gap where the topic was not about an age gap. I mean, that could be a story. Right. Sometimes itself. it's a whole story, it's a right? whole story whole but story this had nothing around. to do uh-huh. with it. Yeah. Um, this was, the movie Entrapment with Sean Connery and Catherine, Catherine Zeta Jones. You know mm-hmm. what their age difference is? Oh my God. He's a, he's a geezer. He must've been <laughs> in his seventies. Is that ageist geezer or is that? Well, I'm a geezer. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an aspiring geezer. As- aspiring. I'm yeah. too. If it means increased sexual appetite Hell yeah, and I all those I'm going to stick around for I'm all gonna that. Be a geezer. Hey, hello, geyser. That's what I'm going to be giving you. <laughs> yeah, maybe I see what you did there. <laughs> I like that. It's 39 years. Sean Connery and Holy Catherine Z. Jones, they were in entrapment and it, yeah. So. That's kind of gross. That's a little bit. I, I remember. I mean, he's good looking. He was, he, he's a good looking older gentleman, but that's still gross. Yeah, but yeah. So who, who, what women in her seventies are you saying that about? What women, I'm sorry? What women in their seventies are you saying? She's a, she's a good looking lady. Oh man. I don't know how old women are. Also, I'm not going to, I'm not falling into that trap. I know. I, I was hoping you would fall and then I would trap you. Oh, I, entrapment I don't even you. know. I mean, I'm not that good with celebrities. Um, I remember when I was watching the movie, Something's Gotta Give. And that's Amanda, that was a great Amanda Pete with Jack Nicholson is a great movie, but Amanda yep, Pete and Jack Nicholson. I was like, this the premise this of the movie, right, is that he dates this girl and then he falls in love with her mother. But, yeah, but she she's such a catch. I was like, this is totally unrealistic. Oh, she, yeah, the, the, she was so <laughs> far never. out of his league. But then it, that's more or less the point of the movie. He ends up with a much more appropriate person. I know it's part um, of the movie, but still. It's I really cute. I, the ending was cute. Another movie had Robert movie. De Niro in it that had a similar thing like that. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but like he ends up having to live it her house or something. Or maybe it's the same movie, but there's another movie where there's like a, 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 where Robert De Niro ends up with, I said, Robert De Niro. There's not, 
Jack Nicholson. Oh yeah. Why are Jack Nicholson and um whatever. He's we'll look always, it up. Is he anyway, there's some cool movies. Like the there's been two movies in the last decade or so where like the older guy realized the error of his ways and ended up with, you know, a woman more of a more appropriate I think age. It's a male director pairing Jack Nicholson up because he's just not a sexy guy. No. no. Here's Johnny. He's uh <laughs> Even even as young man, he wasn't too good looking, although he had a certain, you yeah, know, sort of him, je ne sais quoi, savoir faire, yeah. other French words. We might not get Jack Nicholson as a guest if we keep talking that way. So, yeah, yeah he's a good looking guy. Yeah. I don't know how good he would be at improvising proverbs, though. To see. Well, let's put him to the test. Welcome back to the next segment of our podcast today. In this part, we fabricate a new proverb on the spot based on two random words that we first learn at the same instant that you do. Then we pretend like it's a real proverb. We give you a big story and it's history and all that. And we tell you how it has like really changed our lives and all. And of course, it's a complete balderdash, the whole thing. So um, let's enjoy. Now we turn to the high tech proverbatron, the extremely expensive operation of which is brought to you by the generous sponsorship of the Boardman Review. Pete, what's the first word? Couch. Oh, this is a great one. This is one I, I, well, we'll get into the backstory, but yeah, Uh but this would happen in my house growing up. My dad used to say, and I never knew, understood where he come from, but he used to say, the spittoon is always better when coming from the couch. The spittoon is always better when coming from the couch. And like, Dad, why do you use this so often? But I know it's something that you wanted to dig into and you. I really Now tell me, does your family have any um, background in uh, any uh, like Welsh mining? Do they come yes. at all from? Is that right? Yes, they yeah, do. Yeah, because this is really, this wow. this proverb is very, very. Um, it's, it's steeped it, in that tradition. In, West, in the Western um, in British Isles and, and actually Northern and like mm-hmm. the Scotland stuff. They would say they would say that as well. Um, it's it, hitting the spittoon is always better when it comes from the couch. Okay. Or, you know, the, yes. So, um, ah, the spittoon is always better than coming from the couch. Mm-hmm. That's how they'd say it, you know. Um, and it's funny because it almost always comes from people from the from that, from part, that part of the British yeah, Isles. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what it what it means is that, like, when you it's always more satisfying when you do something difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you risk something and it succeeds is when, um, was when they would invoke this proverb. Right. Mm-hmm. So that he probably would right. say that when you would, because <clears throat> if you're sitting on the couch, right. Mm-hmm. And you, ha- and you're, you know, hawking a loogie and the spittoon is way over on the other side of the room. It's always, it's always so satisfying when you're like, ding, and mm-hmm. it goes right in there. Right. So mm-hmm. that's when, you know, these, these old Welshmen, these miners would say th- things like, you know, spittoon. It's so the spittoon is always better when it's coming from the couch. From the couch. You know, that's now it all makes sense to me. Cause when my yeah. dad would say this to me, it would always be when I'd be overcoming like some really big obstacle in my life. Yeah. Like for example, um, <sighs> this was awful. When I was in middle school, the, um, my middle school was like, I don't know, like half a mile from me. And oh. I had to walk there. Really? Uh, Both even, ways? Yeah. Even when it was snowing. Oh, I'm so sorry. And my dad was like, it's always better to spittoon when you're coming from the couch. And I was like, dad, but my shoes, you know, right. and like, my feet. Mm-hmm. And he would insist I walk to the school. 
that man. And um, And now are you a better person for it? No, not at all. Because (laughs) I really think that if there's a car and there's something motorized to keep me covered and warm and cozy, that that should be used for my purposes. But I mean, think of how like your long distance walking now that you do. Yeah. You always, you know, and how you insist on wearing old shoes when you do it. Really? Yeah. I mean, don't you think, and and don't you think that maybe, maybe that that kind of resilience that your father instilled in you by forcing you to, to walk uphill walk. both ways in the snow to school and stuff. And, you know, yeah. in the old shoes. You know, I need to call my dad. I need to call him yeah. and let him know. I appreciate what he's done for me. It's probably, it might be hard for you to, to make that call, but you know, it's, it, I've always found this true that the spoon is tune is better when it's coming from the couch. Do you have hardships like that, Pete? I mean, I, it's hard to top mine, but maybe you had some too. Well, yours is pretty good. I mean, you, did you have a couch growing up? We had a few couches. Yeah. I mean, I wish we had a few more. I mean, I yeah. wish I had, we had one in our living one. We had one in our family room. Well, um, you had a living wanted, room and a family room? Yeah. And I wanted one also, you know. Luxury. In, in my Luxury. <laughs> what? You didn't? You had a couch? You didn't have? Uh, we had a piece of plywood set on cinder blocks. And you know what we used for a spittoon? Which we use Because we, we, we used a gold plated and I always wanted something. I wanted it ruby plated, but what did wow. you have? We had a can of jumbo, a jumbo sized can of cat food that after we'd eaten it, then we would use it as a spittoon. And so my, that my folks would say, you know, when we spit out the mm-hmm. bones and gristle from the cat food and it would go into the, mm-hmm. into the spittoon, they would be like, isn't that better when it comes from the, ca- the couch? The you know, couch in air I'm doing air quotes because yeah. the couch was really a piece of plywood on top of some, um, Cinder blocks, but you know, we always put a brave face on and I would smile and say, yeah, mom and dad, it sure is. Sure is better. Thanks for this is, I I really like this, um, steak and kidney, um, cat food because it's, it's just a lot better than the, um, than the seaside, seaside medley that we had. I remember that. We have such like different backgrounds and childhoods. It's amazing that we're friends. It is amazing. And it's amazing that we can even relate to each other and cross that, cross that, that gulf. That divide. Yeah, because, you know, um, I really appreciated those hardships and those are, you know, those are who have made me into who I am today. And it's uh, it's really quaint that you can recognize that considering your meager background. It really is. And it's really amazing that you're able to even feel how I feel about it, considering the rarefied and uh, ivory tower that you've spent your life. You know, I don't know if I feel what you feel, but I know how to express that I feel that. So I can say that must have been hard. And you took are, a class a great, in college, maybe about how on, hard it on was how to, to express empathy, not how to feel empathetic, but how to use words yeah. that make you seem empathetic. So yeah. you want me to try one on you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete, it must have been really difficult the way you grew up. I'm sure you felt frustrated. Is that the right word? That felt that felt almost real and genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm going to try another I'll, one. Maybe I'll try one. Okay, go ahead, Pete. Um, was it hard for you when, um, your sister got an Audi for her 16th birthday and, and you just, um, got a Volvo? I must've been hard. I'm really sorry. That must've been a challenging time for you. Pete, you don't know how close that strikes to how I was feeling. You're really good at this. Thanks. You're good at it too. So, yeah, you know, I mean, so th- this is, uh, this is about reaching out and, and overcoming challenges and everything. And, um. I think that, uh, you know, your, your empathetic, uh, your attempts at empathy from your, from above or they're working, they're, they're, you're getting there. 
Yeah, I'm going to thank my parents. I'm going to call my dad right after this and talk to him about his... Good. I'm amazed that your dad made you walk to school considering that you had an Audi or a Volvo. You know, supposedly he had, like, he had a longer walk when he was younger. And he says, that's what made me the great man I am today. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, it's debatable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's a great man. Yeah. But, um, so he thought he was, you know, he thought he was doing me a favor. But in the end... I find, I find, you know, for my own kids, I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure they're not, they're not walking or doing anything to get themselves Mm -hmm. to school. But make sure you keep the spittoon far from the couch. So, or do you even have a spittoon these days? Are you spittooning at all in your house? I think it's important that children learn spittoon etiquette and technique early. So yes. You know, I envy you because you overcame all these challenges. And for me, like, it seems like things came so easily. My father, we used to, we, he used to put us in, in a wagon. He, there was a wooden wagon that we found on the, Next to, you know, you know how like next to the alley where people put stuff sometimes. Yes, nice, yes, yes. Stuff. And they put, they see free. Yeah, it's a free right on it. I, do, only, I, it I do that. Three of the four wheels were there, which was great. And when we would ride in it, we'd all have to pile into one corner of it to keep the weight on the, where the wheels were. And my dad would drag us to, to school. And, you know, that was easy for us. We didn't have to walk or anything. And as he was going to the mine, he would drag us. And then that wagon was useful to him because he could um, load it up with coal after at the end of the day and yeah. drag it back. Um, and that was useful for heating up the bath when we'd have, you know, occasional baths. Um, and it was cool because the wagon was like a iron tub and we could just heat the wagon right up and take our bath in that. And it's like, see how easy everything was for us. And yeah. I just envy you that you overcame all those hardships and became so much of a stronger person. And, and all of us just had it so easy. And, you know, maybe that's why all my siblings are all st- still working in the mines. Pete, it, first of all, yes, it was hard. And they thank you for recognizing that. And, you know, that Volkswagen that I got, I put that in the back alley and some family took it. It was a duplicate. Oh, man, so I wish I we'd really known about that. You, what you're saying. We would have really liked that that Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah that would have been I nice. Can, I'm Okay, let me try this. It must have been hard for you to be in a wagon and not a Volkswagen. You know, it was easy. We didn't have to walk. It was great. I just, uh, you know, it must have been hard for you to part with that, that Volkswagen when your sister had an Audi. We'd like to thank our very generous sponsors who believe community and comedy go hand in hand, like peanut butter and potato chips. Thanks, Boardman Review, Workshop Brewing Company, and the brand new Breaking the Surface podcast. 